0: Welcome to News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, April 15th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The veteran police officer accused of killing Dante Wright near Minneapolis, Minnesota, now free on bonds as the community reacts to her arrest. President Biden making good on a promise to punish Russia for recent cyber crimes, now ordering new sanctions on that country, along with the expulsion of 10 diplomats. And the controversy over the CDC's recommendation to pause the Johnson & Johnson vaccine now growing. This, even as the Biden administration insists, its vaccination efforts won't be hindered by that pause. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with new developments in the shooting of 20-year-old Dante Wright in Minnesota. The arrest of the Brooklyn Center police officer who shot and killed Wright, along with the manslaughter charge, now leveled against her, helping to ease tensions in that community. That former officer, Kim Potter, released from jail overnight after posting bond. Oh. Violence erupting outside the police department in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, amid outrage over the death of Dante Wright.
1: Wright. Wright.
0: (laughs) Demonstrators tried to climb the fence that now protects the police station and threw bottles and fireworks at officers. Officers then returning fire with flashbangs and rubber bullets. But overall, authorities say it was a calmer night of protests.
2: We're not here seeking revenge. We're simply seeking justice.
3: For the second night in a row, we have not seen looting in Brooklyn Center. Uh, There were no fires set in Brooklyn Center.
0: Meanwhile, Kim Potter, the former officer who shot Wright, was released from jail after posting a $100,000 bond Wednesday. Potter now faces a second-degree manslaughter charge.
2: In less than a week, the district attorney made the decision that we will charge this officer and the family of Dante Wright will get to have their day in court. So we say justice for Dante
0: Wright. Then-Police Chief Tim Gannon said he thought it was an accident.
2: It is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet.
0: But investigators say the taser is yellow with a black grip, and she would have to use her left hand to get it. In other words, they say she should have known the difference. Second-degree manslaughter has a presumptive sentence in Minnesota of four years. The maximum is 10 years in jail, along with the possibility of a $20,000 fine or both. The Washington County Attorney's Office is handling the case at the request of the Hennepin County Attorney's Office so that there would be no potential conflict of interest. Meanwhile, Derek Chauvin, currently on trial for the killing of George Floyd, invoked his Fifth Amendment right to remain silent this morning. Chauvin, speaking into a microphone before the jury entered the court, said it was his decision and his decision alone not to testify. Here was their exchange.
2: And um, have you made a decision uh, today whether you intend to testify or whether you intend to invoke your Fifth Amendment privilege?
4: Uh, I will invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege today.
0: The judge then asked Chauvin if that decision was his. He said it was and with another day of testimony underway inside that courtroom on wednesday the defense calling a former medical examiner testifying he would have classified the manner of george floyd's death as quote undetermined rafael rodriguez brings us a recap
4: derek chauvin's defense calling a forensic pathologist dr david fowler saying that george floyd's death officially classified as a homicide was actually undetermined citing a series of potential causes, including heart disease and drug use.
2: How did the heart and and drugs contribute to the cause of death?
3: They were significant.
4: The defense then suggesting that Floyd inhaled carbon monoxide from the tailpipe of the squad car. There is
3: exposure to a vehicle exhaust. So potentially carbon monoxide poisoning.
4: On cross-examination, the prosecutors pushing back.
2: You haven't seen any data or test results that showed
3: Mr. Floyd had a single injury from carbon monoxide. Is that true? That is correct, because it was never sent to I the laboratory for that whether, test. I asked you whether it was true, sir, yes or no. It is true.
4: And asking the expert about what the officers should have done when Floyd became non-responsive.
3: Do you feel that Mr. Floyd should have been given? He needed emergency attention to try to reverse the cardiac arrest. As a physician, I would agree. Um, are you critical of the fact that he wasn't given? immediate emergency care when he went into cardiac arrest. As a physician, I would agree.
4: Rafael Rodriguez, U News.
0: Now to Washington, where the weekly jobs report is showing off some promising news. Unemployment claims declining to the lowest level since the pandemic struck last spring, adding to signs the U.S. economic revival is picking up speed. Jobless claims, a proxy for layoffs, fell to 576,000 last week from 769,000 a week earlier. That is the lowest weekly figure since March 2020, but still way above the levels of around 200,000. 120,000 that prevailed early last year before the coronavirus pandemic hit the U.S. economy. Meanwhile, in foreign policy news, the White House announcing the expulsion of 10 Russian diplomats and a new round of sanctions against Russia. Edwin Piti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin, what do we know so far?
2: Andrea Washington woke up to the Biden administration's announcement of imposing the first significant sanctions targeting the Russian economy. The action is being sold by the White House as a punishment to the Kremlin for a cyber espionage campaign and for their efforts to influence the 2020 presidential election. Sanctions are being imposed on six Russian companies that support Russia's hacking spy services. Also, like you mentioned, 10 Russian intelligence officers working under diplomatic cover in the U.S., are being expelled jake sullivan national security advisor to president biden discussed the future of relations between russia and the u.s take a listen president biden and president putin had a phone call in which they were direct with one another they understood one another president biden made no bones about the fact that we will be taking actions this week But he also indicated that he wants to get to that stability in this relationship. And he believes that if President Putin is prepared to do that as well, uh, we can find a course ahead that does not lead to a cycle of confrontation. The package includes sanctions on all debt Russia issued after June 14th, bearing also U.S. financial institutions from buying government bonds directly from the Russian Central Bank, Russian National Wealth Fund, and the Ministry of Finance. According to experts, that alone will complicate Moscow's ability to raise money in the international capital markets. The Kremlin reacted this morning, saying uh, the spokesman Dmitry Peskov saying that Russia view any of the U.S. sanctions as illegal and that they will retaliate. Also, Russia believes this action will not be helpful in the process leading up to a proposed summit between Biden and Putin. Live in Washington, D.C., back to you, Andrea.
0: Thank you, Edwin, for all those details. And with the news that President Biden will pull all U.S. troops from Afghanistan by September 11th of this year, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken making a surprise visit to that country. He arrived in Kabul today to meet with Afghan President Ashraf Ghani, as well as U.S. service members and embassy personnel. He told High Council official Dr. Abdullah Abdullah that, quote, we have a partnership that is changing but is enduring. Abdullah thanked Blinken for his, quote, continued commitment in support of peace. And for more on this next move for the United States in Afghanistan, let's go to Luis Caldera. He's the former Secretary of the Army under President Bill Clinton. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Andrea. So this was President Joe Biden yesterday justifying his decision to withdraw U.S. troops. Let's go ahead and first take a listen to that.
3: American troops shouldn't be used as a bargaining chip between warring parties in other countries. You know, that's nothing more than a recipe for keeping American troops in Afghanistan indefinitely. I also know there are many who will argue that we should stay, stay fighting in Afghanistan because withdrawal would damage America's credibility and weaken America's influence in the world. I believe the exact opposite is true. We went to Afghanistan because of a horrific attack that happened 20 years ago. That cannot explain why we should remain there in 2021.
0: So what's your reaction to this decision to bring our soldiers
3: home? I think it's a difficult, but the correct decision. Uh, The United States today is facing much greater global challenges in the security sphere than what Afghanistan uh, presents. Uh, Today, of course, terrorist attacks can come from many other places, not just Afghanistan. And there are other ways to try to make sure that uh, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda do not become a threat to the United States in the future. But the big challenges are really the global competition challenges with China, who can challenge us economically, technologically, in terms of their work around the world to try to to build uh, allies and support for their form of government. Uh, It includes Russia, which you just spoke about. It includes uh, North Korea and Iran. And so we we really have to be able to focus on those security challenges. We need to bring our troops home, give them a chance to rest and reset, and and really uh, retool their capabilities for different kinds of conflicts that we may have in the future.
0: Now, Republican Lindsey Graham has been one that has been open to criticizing Biden's decision. Let's go ahead and listen to the sound of what uh, Lindsey Graham had to say. If he doesn't change his mind, and I beg you, President Biden, reevaluate this, don't lock yourself in, because things are gonna change quickly in Afghanistan for the worse. Uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS are gonna benefit very quickly from this decision the senator there are talking about some dangers now what risks could emerge from that
3: trip troop withdrawals well four presidents have said that they need that we need to end this endless war yes there is a possibility that we will, as you just saw in the in the segment that you just showed, we, we are remain committed to the government in Afghanistan. We've made a lot of progress in building uh, institutions of civil society and improving life there for uh, women and girls who now have a chance of education and and to, to have a different kind of life. And, and there is a risk that there will be backsliding, uh, even that the Taliban may incite a civil war. Uh, if they come into power, may impose a theocracy that will be very repressive. Uh, but we're putting incentives on the table for that not to happen. That is, if they want development assistance, uh, they need to uh, try to be part of a peace process uh, and, to, and to have a different kind of future for Afghanistan. There are other ways to make sure that it doesn't become a haven for a terrorist and doesn't threaten the United States in the future that don't involve continuing to spend trillions of dollars in our efforts there and have uh, our soldiers' uh, lives at risk.
0: Now, many opponents of this decision fear a Taliban takeover once American troops are gone. How likely is this to happen?
3: It, it is it is certainly a possibility because the, uh, the Afghani government is very much supported by the U.S. and NATO uh, which are their training forces, training police forces, military forces, acting as advisors, uh, even though the number is significantly reduced from from previous years. Uh, so so it's going to be challenging for the for the government uh, to be able to uh, stand on its own. But, you know, we've made a commitment to try to help them as much as possible. In the end, the Afghani people have to be able to determine uh, their own future. They, they, the Taliban has resisted uh, a negotiation. It did uh, under President Trump when he set the May deadline. And, you know, they frankly have shown that their approach is to wait out the U.S. for as long as it might take, whether that was 20 years or another decade. Uh, so you can't force them to come to the to the bargaining table. Uh, you can have consequences uh, uh, should they act in ways that are contrary to the U.S. interests and contrary to our values.
0: Now, do you believe this will have any impact on morale for the thousands of veterans of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, many of whom are black and Latino?
3: Well, of course, you know, our our, our U.S. forces today are 43% black and Latino and largely in the enlisted ranks. And, and we could not feel the, the military we do without their service. So, first of all, they should be proud of the fact that they serve and represent our country so well and the progress that they have made in Afghanistan I think it, I think it's bitter because many of them were seriously injured they came back with traumatic uh, uh, brain injuries with uh, uh, PTSD uh, with uh, uh, the, the challenges of having uh, served in a war zone uh, but but that's not a reason to continue uh, to be there so they you know we, we need to support them we need to support them as they recover and transition to civilian life and and for for them to know that we are proud of their service uh, regardless of what the outcome was in Afghanistan.
0: I want to reiterate that we always thank them for their service and thank you as well Luis Caldera former Secretary of the Army under President Bill Clinton. Thanks for your time.
3: Thank you. Anthony.
0: Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida is back in Washington, D.C., but he's avoiding inquiries about the federal probe into his possible involvement with sex trafficking. Meanwhile, two women are sharing salacious new allegations about his conduct. Grecia Lastra brings us those details. Embattled Congressman Matt Gates
5: is back on Capitol Hill, but he refused to answer direct questions about the federal investigation into his conduct and his looming legal trouble. This as more details continue to emerge about his past. Two women telling CNN about parties in Florida attended by both Gates and his friend and political ally Joelle Greenberg. The parties were boozy filled. Some had sex and others did drugs like ecstasy and cocaine. One of the women described Gates acting like a frat boy at these events and taking what appeared to be recreational drugs. In some cases, money was exchanged afterwards. Receipts reviewed by CNN show payments in 2018 and 2019 of hundreds of dollars by Gates and Greenberg using payment apps to at least one woman who attended the parties. Another woman said she received money from Greenberg after some parties. She said she never got money from Gates directly. Greenberg's knowledge of what Gates did apparently of interest to investigators.
6: He's uniquely situated.
5: Greenberg, the former Florida tax collector facing 33 federal charges, is now cooperating with investigators and CNN has learned he is specifically talking about his interactions with Gates. That includes encounters the two had, which allegedly involved giving cash or gifts to women in exchange for sex. And at his legal troubles mound, Gates is fending off political pressure as well.
3: You know, right now, it's hard to speculate on on rumors, but, you know, if something really formal happened from justice, we would, of course, react and take action.
5: Only one Republican, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, had called on Gates to resign. And both Republicans and Democrats appear content to let the legal process play out, while Gates continues to serve in Congress.
3: I think it's an issue for the Republicans to work out. The rules require... Uh, that someone who is indicted uh, stand down uh, and be removed from from their committees uh, until the judicial process works itself out. He hasn't been indicted yet, uh, so let's
2: see what happens.
0: This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. A CDC review panel extending the pause of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine until more data is available. That move putting thousands of vaccination sites on hold. But the Biden administration assuring the public there is enough supply of Pfizer and Moderna to keep up with demand. Lorraine Gaceres has the latest. The CDC review panel making no decisions
1: yet on the future of the J&J vaccine, recommending to continue the pause during a meeting Wednesday.
2: I'm definitely in favor of a pause because the true
5: incidence of this condition may be revealed now that we've had so many more doses administered.
0: And by having a little more robust information,
1: I I think we can be much more confident in how we talk about um, the safety of this vaccine some medical experts criticizing the decision dr ashish jaw from brown university writing on twitter we're in a pandemic short pause to alert folks is reasonable waiting when it's unlikely to change what we know is not but the director of the cdc making no apologies for the abundance of caution i want to share with you my confidence in the system that we have in place jointly cdc and fda were able to identify these rare events and act quickly to alert healthcare providers and the public. Out of the six women affected, none had a known history of blood clots. Three were obese, one had high blood pressure, and one had asthma three are still hospitalized. As the CDC investigation continues in Mississippi, the health department is investigating the case of a 43 year old man in critical condition after suffering a stroke three hours after getting the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. His family has no doubt the vaccine caused it.
5: He's a young, healthy 43 year old, you know. Um, I immediately thought it and I, I said, be sure to tell the doctors, tell the doctors and that it, he took that Johnson & Johnson vaccine.
1: The future of the J&J vaccine could be decided in 10 days when the review panel meets again. But in the meantime, there are 7,000 vaccination locations nationwide on hold. The Biden administration insisting the pause will not affect the pace of vaccinations and there is enough supply of Pfizer and Moderna to compensate. And right now there is about 77 million people in the U.S. that are fully inoculated, fully vaccinated. And the CDC is reporting that of those people fully vaccinated, about 5,800 people have contracted coronavirus anyway. Of those, 74 were severe enough to die of the virus. Right now, this is what we call breakthrough infections. And it's the first indication from the CDC of how effective the vaccines are in a real-life scenario. Back to you, Andrea.
0: Thank you, Lorraine. Very interesting. And now listen to this. About 4,000 people in Colorado Springs, Colorado, will need to redo their COVID vaccinations. They received their vaccines at this facility, Dr. MoMA Health and Wellness Clinic. But the state health department says investigators later found the clinic did not properly store and handle those vaccines. Now they want everyone who was inoculated at the clinic to be offered revaccination. Local health officials say they started looking into this center after receiving complaints from the public. And it turns out that middle empty seat on airplanes offers some protection against COVID-19. According to the CDC, researchers found the risk of COVID-19 exposure was reduced by 23 to 57 percent when middle seats were empty on airplanes. Scientists said it is important to recognize their study addresses only exposure and not transmission. Researchers say more tests are needed to determine the risk of the virus possibly being transmitted and causing illness on planes. The analysis did not measure the impact of wearing masks, which is currently required on flights. More of you news after this short break. Welcome back to U News. And now to New York. And joining us now to talk about these new voting bills in Texas is Stephanie Gomez. She's the associate director of the organization Common Cause Texas. Thank you so much for being with us right here on U News, Stephanie. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So lawmakers in Texas are considering expanding the role of poll watchers. What are they trying to do exactly?
6: Yeah, so we have <laughs> two omnibus voter bills, it, voter suppression bills here in Texas um, that people are covering. It's Senate Bill 7 and House Bill 6, both of which would extend the powers of. Uh, Partisan operatives, these poll watchers, um, to a really frightening degree, um, House Bill 6 would make it so uh, trained election workers and officials would be unable to um, dismiss a partisan poll watcher, and it's just super concerning. Um, You know, in in, in Texas, we have a a really bad history of partisan poll watchers going out and intimidating um, voters um, and especially in black and brown parts of our state and in, in those communities so definitely um, been working really hard to try to kill these bills
0: talk to us a little bit about how these poll watchers are normally recruited
6: yeah so um they they through 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 the parties like you can um you know there are a couple of um Uh, qualifiers that make you eligible to be a poll watcher but I mean anyone can serve the training can (laughs) depend on on who's doing it. it it's um yeah
0: in a statement to the Washington Post the Harris County Republican Party said common cause was quote mischaracterizing their efforts to recruit poll workers now officials there are justifying their actions as a way to prevent voter fraud but is there evidence of widespread voter fraud in Texas
6: there is no evidence of widespread voter fraud in Texas. That is um, a narrative that's being pushed by, um, again, partisan actors who have an investment in staying in power or gaming the system so it is. It is um, impossible for them to be held accountable. Um, It is super concerning. There is um, no evidence that there was any voter fraud in Texas in 2020 um, or in any of the elections before that. It's just it's just a claim that they're making to justify um, restricting people's access to the ballot box.
0: Now, the Texas Senate already signed a bill limiting extended early voting hours. Will the governor sign this into law? And what are other bills that are currently making their way through the legislature?
6: Yeah, not if we have anything uh, to say about it, like the voting rights community here in Texas is super active fighting against not just SB7 and House Bill 6, but any attempts to restrict access to the ballot box. Um, You know, there is definitely um, an opportunity for all Texans to join into this fight in making sure that Texas does not become um, a leader in voter suppression and that we undo this really shameful history of suppressing the votes of our of, of our the people from texas um there are a lot of bills <laughs> that would make it harder for people to access the ballot box i mean just today the house elections committee is hearing a bill i believe It is um, House Bill 3920 that would make it so people can't vote by mail in a pandemic, a pandemic that we are still in. Uh, Last week, we heard House Bill 1026, which is a bill that would centralize elections with the um, Secretary of State's office um, and would get rid of volunteer deputy registrars, a very popular high school voter registration program. And again, these are just You know, these are just examples of the hundreds of bills that have been filed in Texas um, to suppress the vote.
0: Now, corporations like American Airlines, which is based in Texas, have criticized these efforts. How much clout do they have over lawmakers to affect these bills and what happens next?
6: Yeah, no, it's been really exciting to see corporations stand against voter suppression and stand um, in support of our democracy of, you know, Texas is known for having corporations involved in their politics. And we're really excited to see, um, you know, such a diverse um, diverse supporters coming out um, to support efforts to end voter suppression in Texas. Um, And it's not just corporations, like people need to get involved. They need to, um, you know, submit public comments, they need to get on social media and say that this stuff, the stuff that they're trying to do at the legislature is not only suppressing votes, but it's coming at a time where Texas is dealing with um, a pandemic. It, um, you know, we had the winter storm that you know devastated communities across Texas. And to see um, elected officials try to prioritize Um, hurting our democracy instead of pushing forward legislation that would actually benefit the people of Texas is, is really disgusting.
0: Stephanie Gomez of the organization Common Cause Texas. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. FEMA is lending assistance with the growing number of unaccompanied migrant children found along the southern border. FEMA chief Robert Fenton was questioned Wednesday at a Senate Appropriations Committee hearing. He says the organization is aiding the Department of Health and Human Services with shelter capacity in California and Texas. Meanwhile, for undocumented minors here in the U.S., a potential reprieve for those seeking more permanent status. Here's Quellia Tejada with the story. Undocumented
7: children who had their juvenile visa petitions denied or revoked since 2016 because of their age can still obtain this immigration relief. The U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, says that minors under the age of 21 who have been abused or abandoned by their parents can apply for the juvenile visa. The previous administration suddenly changed the policy and began denying these applications after the age of 18. After a lawsuit, a federal judge ruled that the change was illegal. So USCIS ruled that those affected can file an appeal until May 31st. For those who were denied or revoked under this policy deemed unlawful, they must appeal filing the Form I-290-B. Elvis Martinez, who crossed the border alone from El Salvador in 2015 at the age of 16, celebrates the approval of his appeal. It was the best news I have ever received. Thank God to have a chance that I can stay in the country with permanent residency. The Liga A Society estimates that another 8,000 young people like Elvis could reopen their cases. Reported by Peggy Carranza in New York City, Kelia Tejada, U News.